Hey, I'm Mike Joseph, and thank you for listening to Detoxicity, a show by men, about men, but for everyone. I hope you enjoy the content of this podcast, and I want to let you know about a few things you can do to support us and our mission to challenge traditional notions of masculinity and create a more communicative, positive, and loving environment for all. You can subscribe to Detoxicity on any podcast platform that you use to listen. We are available just about everywhere. Also, don't hesitate to rate and comment as these help us move up in the podcast rankings. I'm on social media, or at least I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok as Detox Pod Guy. Feel free to drop me a follow. Now I have a Patreon page, yay! And uh, Patreon gives you the opportunity to get cool merch and exclusive episodes of this podcast in exchange for subscribing. Go to patreon.com slash detoxicitypod to find out more. Uh, finally, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, whether you found an episode of the podcast particularly enjoyable or enlightening, or you know someone who'd be a great guest, or you'd like to offer constructive criticism, or if you yourself would like to be on the podcast, hit me up. Reach out to me at one of the aforementioned social media channels, or if you're old school like I am, drop me an email, detoxpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and take care. So one of my favorite episodes, and I try not to pick favorites, but at, at the end of the day, there are always, I want to say there are good episodes and there are great episodes. And to me, one of my favorite episodes uh, was the one I did with Luke Wesley. Uh, did it about a year ago. And it was a great discussion, uh, one of the few that I have in person. And we decided to run it back and do it again. So everybody, welcome back Luke Wesley. He is a songwriter and musician and a carpenter uh, based here in Brooklyn. Um, a lot has happened in the years since he and I spoke last, or spoke for the podcast last. We have spoken in person <laughs> on a few occasions since um probably one of the most impactful things that has happened to him since the last time he and i spoke is that he lost his mom um so we talk a lot about grief and loss and coping with all of that in this particular conversation uh, we talk about loss of a parent we talk about loss of a job kind of loss of identity in the wake of the pandemic and uh it is a, a pretty pretty heavy discussion but um, I really enjoy talking to Luke all the time, and I hope that you enjoy this conversation as well. So, with my phone in the background, here is Luke Wesley, everybody. Hello, everyone. My name is Luke Wesley. I've come back to detoxicity <laughs> to talk more of my toxicity. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming back, Luke. You know, it's been probably a year. Since you and I did our last one? Just about, yeah. So what's new? Wow, man. It's been a long year. So much has happened, but that's kind of been the nature of the game in the past few years. Just seemingly constant change, it feels. But yeah, in the past year, I set up to quit my job because I was going to try and, and still do the same type of work, carpentry, but in a different way, trying to get into a the... TV and film union and I quit my job and a few weeks later while still unemployed my mom passed away of ovarian well what we think was ovarian cancer it was kind of hard to tell by the time they caught it and then I just spent a lot of months of unemployment and gig jobs working on renovating a couple of houses upstate and in Vermont and now I'm back work at Scenic Carpentry Shop, working on theater sets. Cool. Yeah. So I didn't re-listen to the episode that you and I did the first one. So I wasn't sure if you had lost your mom by the time that we had recorded or not. Yeah. It was in like September. We did all this. It was right about a year ago, like late May-ish, I think, maybe early June. Losing a parent is incredibly rough. And I don't want to exploit trauma here or anything like that, but if you're willing to talk about, you know, what happened and what that's been like. Yeah, no, that's kind of the point of this show right. to some extent. But I don't want to be like, you know, <laughs> tell us about your mother. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's honestly a big part of why it's been such a long year. But I will say, you know, it was kind of a perfect storm just the being unemployed 
and not really having any money to do anything leads to just sitting around the apartment and watching a lot of TV. I'll be quite frank, I smoked a lot of weed. I mean, um, there's nothing wrong with that. No, not necessarily. The joke that I've always thought was funny from an old episode of South Park is where the boys are like against weed and they're talking to Chef and Chef's like, oh, come on, boys. Weed's not bad. It's just that weed makes you feel okay with being bored. And that's not always a good thing. (laughs) And I find that to be so incredibly true. I don't have anything inherently against weed, but I do find, at least for myself, it can be a real crutch. And so it was being used, I think, pretty heavily during that time to not have to think and feel and process, which, you know, was kind of fine in the beginning, but it just got to a point where there was so much turmoil in my life with the unemployment and traveling so much for work and then being stuck upstate in this house that we're renovating at night by myself with nothing to do except for watch TV on my phone and drink, frankly. It was a a difficult time to actually be able to sit and process my feelings. And, you know, it's something I'm still obviously working on because it's a relatively fresh situation. But, yeah, you know, I, I cry a lot less in random situations now than I did (laughs) Give me your sad or sweet moment in a movie, and I just couldn't hold it together. It does sound like there were multiple things happening that were causing you a bit of of, of difficulty. And you were self-soothing, which, you know, I'm not mad at that. That's kind of what people do. They numb themselves, I think, a lot of times to just try to block out those heavier thoughts. But at the same time, those feelings don't go away. So, you know, nine months down the line, how are you coping? Are you still kind of numbing? No. I mean, the other thing also is, I don't know, I'm fairly responsible as a person. So now that I'm back in a more normal situation with work and whatnot, carpenters wake up early. (laughs) I'll take your word for that. Yeah, I'm back in a normal working situation. So I'm up at 630 And this isn't nearly as early as I used to wake up for my last job, but drinking to a point where you're legitimately numbing things is just not nearly as conducive when you got to be up at 630 and you got to put in a a full day of manual labor. (laughs) Right, I would imagine. And, you know, at a certain point, it's not just diminishing returns. It's legitimately just like you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. And if you're drinking at night and numbing your feelings you're going to feel even worse the whole day the next day and it throws things further out of balance and makes it even worse it doesn't just kick the can down the road right and so uh, no i'm definitely not drinking and smoking weed as much as i was at a point in those first four or five months but i'm still at this place where i am trying to drag myself back into control what does that mean Well, you know, this whole period of time started with, I left town for two weeks to do an install in Chicago for the shop that I was working at. And that two weeks started by going to Arkansas and hanging out with family. And then in the middle of those two weeks, there was a wedding in St. Louis. And then there was the two weeks in Chicago where it was just like, sure, we're working, but also let's have some fun in Chicago. Right. So it was just this two week party pseudo vacation. And then I came back and started working on trying to get the union work. And so I had this kind of thought that, well, when the union work comes in and I can start getting that work, then everything will sort itself out. And so I didn't really rein myself in. And then three weeks after I got back from Chicago, my mom passed. And at that point then, there was just no hope of reining it in. Nothing really seemed to matter anymore. And so it just set me on a path that wasn't necessarily the healthiest. Sure. So, you know, I gained a little bit of weight and that's one of those things I'm trying to get under control still is just pulling my vices back 
one by one. <laughs> Not that I have a whole lot of experience here, but I would imagine if you are trying to rein in a whole bunch of different vices, doing all that at once, that's just like jumping into a cold ass pool of, of water. That's not something that's necessarily recommended or not the smartest thing to do. You know, it's interesting because I feel like with me, it's gone both ways at different times. You know, you know, life is full of good seasons and bad seasons. And it's philosophical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes when you're pulling out of a bad season, I've found that I do just jump in the cold water head first and just say let's do this and it works huh and then sometimes i try and jump in the water cold and i'm just immediately back out of the water <laughs> as if I'd, I'd never even gotten it and you know in those times i just have to kind of retool and and replan and maybe just try putting a foot in first and slowly easing my way in and getting used to it right so it, yeah, i don't know depends on what i'm going through and whether or not i'm able to just do it unemployment is a trauma it sucks you don't know how you're going to get your next rent check all that stuff and then obviously i don't think i need to tell anybody the loss of a parent whether you are close with them or not is a traumatic experience and you you know from everything i know were super close with your mom yeah my family's fairly close I forgot, you also have like 27 brothers. Yeah, yeah. There's six of us, specifically for the record. Not which 27. Is, which is a lot, though. It is. I've heard before from people who have a lot of kids, though, that after four, it's just doing time. <laughs> Plus, I figure at a certain point, if they're spread out enough, they just start taking care of each other. Oh, now. yeah. But, yeah, you know, there's there's six of us, and, you know, we've got a text thread just among the brothers. We've got a text thread with, like, the family including wives and whatnot of the brothers and so we do talk i'm probably the worst at it i, I have a hard time keeping in touch i'm like that though with with everyone i have the people that i see on a regular basis and therefore am regularly talking to them and whatnot and i'm trying to be better about it uh because I know that I have friends out there who feel like it's a very one-sided relationship. And it's not for lack of caring. It's for lack of care. Sure, there's a difference. <laughs> it's not yeah. that I don't care about this person at all. It's just that I don't necessarily put the care into keeping in touch with people the way that I probably should or at least want to. Right, I, I was about to ask, is it an obligation thing or do you actually want to do it? Well, th th this is the thing. I want to, but it always feels like an obligation. obligation. I want to keep in contact with people, but doing the work that it takes just feels sometimes like so much work. And I know that that probably comes from a place of being affected by like my own issues, my depression, my attention deficit hyperactive disorder <laughs> all of this stuff and you know some of these things have been diagnosed some of them have not ADHD is tough because everybody went gung-ho on medicating kids mm -hmm. but I was a bright enough kid and things came easy enough to me that school wasn't suffering you know, I would do my homework in the back of the room while the teacher was teaching the lesson plan so that I didn't have to do it at home and stuff. So school was never really an issue. The problem is, is that once school became a problem, I was so far along that by that point, it, what are you going to do? When did it manifest itself into a problem? College. Oh, okay. It right, wasn't until yeah, so probably second year of college where I finally actually started to have to do work. And at that point, it was tough. It was really hard to put myself in a seat and focus myself to, to do the work. And that's really f too fucking late in life to figure that sort of thing out. Is Not it? that you can't. I just right. mean it's so much harder yeah. to figure out how to focus yourself when you're a grown adult than it is if you were like six. Right. No, you're absolutely right. And since they over-medicated everybody for so long, as an adult, I've tried 
to see people about these sorts of things. But the thing is, I've just never had a normal traditional job. Somebody comes into your office and they're an accountant and they've got health insurance and all of this. It's like, all right, well, let's see what we can do to figure this out. But a fucking degenerate musician bartender comes into your <laughs> office who doesn't have insurance and is paying just like $50 to be seen. At that point, you're like, oh, I don't know. This guy might be trying to scam us for drugs. And it doesn't matter. You can't even tell him, listen, man, prescription drugs have never been my thing. I'm just right. trying to figure something out to balance myself so that I'll actually do anything ever. Right. right. So, yeah. That sucks. I'm fortunate that I have a 40-hour-a-week job with health insurance. And, you know, I don't always think about the fact that there are people out there who are, you know, gigging. And I work in the fucking music industry, and musicians have this issue. Yeah, mm -hmm. and musicians need mental health help, you know, pretty severely in a lot of cases. But it's not like you can just fill out the paperwork for a doctor and pop in your insurance card information and be like, here. So that sucks. I, so what? what is your actual diagnosis versus your thought diagnosis well i mean the thing is is there was a period of time where i was seeing a psych i always have to in my mind think about which is which i was seeing a psychologist for a while okay and he sent me to a psychiatrist for antidepressants and even with the ADHD that we had talked about, she still just wasn't really interested in prescribing me something for ADHD. You know, they're all stimulants. Right, and people and abuse Adderall, for all, sure. All the time. Yeah. I'm not going to say I haven't tried myself. I just never had a prescription. <laughs> I've had Adderall a few times. Because right. people were like, oh, you want some Adderall? I'm like, you yeah, know, I'd like to get some things done today, sure. And honestly, when I've done it, it's been like... Is this what everybody else feels like? <laughs> Is this what people who get things done in their life feel like? Because holy cow, I feel like I could do everything today. Right. And, you know, part of that's probably just the uppers talking. But still, <laughs> I went to one guy once who actually prescribed me Adderall. And I felt great. And he gave me like two months and i you know went through it and at the end of the two months i went to try and make another appointment i think i just went over to the place and there was a sign saying it was closed because i had an appointment and i was like what i googled it and found one article about a bunch of dr feel goods that were being come down on by the states and his name was listed among like five doctors. And I was just like, ugh, God. You finally get somebody to right, prescribe me. And it turns out he's just prescribing everybody. No. Right. Well, I mean, actually, what they were doing now that I actually remember, I've thought about this in a long time, but it was a Medicaid scam that they were running. And I was on Medicaid. I had recently lost a job and then my appendix perforated while I was unemployed, Oof. which w it was great for me in the end because if it had happened while I had a job it would have been a lot harder to get those medical bills paid for sure but being unemployed the like financial aid guy at the hospital was like oh great that's how we're gonna get this paid for we're gonna apply to Medicaid they'll take care of everything that was like 35 grand in hospital bills to right be in a hospital for five days and have my appendix removed it perforated so it wasn't just a laparoscopic overnight thing that sounds but awful first of all Oh, I mean, the whole experience wasn't great. <laughs> right. But being able to have it get paid for because I was unemployed was great. <clears throat> Sometimes things work out, you know, even when it feels like they're not. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just thinking perforated appendix falling off of buildings. Your body's taking a fucking beating. Yeah, when I go to the hospital, it's because I have to go to the hospital. Right. <laughs> but that is also kind of a function of where I've spent, you know, the majority of my adult life which is working in jobs that people don't have any respect for and having a hard time getting insurance because somehow, you know, with the cost of living in New York and how much you still end up making, like I look at how much I make now in my job and 15 years ago, 
even in New York, I would be living well and I could live by myself. Mm-hmm. And now the idea of ever having a, my own place in New York seems like a hilarious pipe dream. <laughs> but in the end, I live here and I make what I make. And the idea of somehow getting health insurance for a lot of people in my situation is a situation that's just like, how are you supposed to afford $500 a month when your personal profit margin is so slim? Right. And even then, $500 a month will get you trash insurance. It'll get you dental insurance that pays for a couple of cleanings a year, and that's it. Right. And it'll get you health insurance that'll, you know, have some crazy deductible. And it's just like, you know, what is the point? So, I don't know, man. Sometimes I make jokes about just skidding into my grave and calling it. Don't. (laughs) We don't want that to happen. But when you make jokes like that, which, you know, is my coping mechanism in dark times, when you make jokes like that, people start truly wondering and worrying about you and it's like yeah I mean I get it it's not quite the same as how you feel it is but okay you know it is dark you're not wrong right (laughs) no I think it's just a function of people giving a shit about you that they're like we don't know if this dude is serious or not man that sounds like a them problem (laughs) (laughs) it's like the last time you and I hung out I think we were both in a pretty dark place. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's been a slide for me for... Wildly enough, you know, I entered the pandemic in this place where for the first time in years, years, I was happy and healthy. And thank God that's how I entered the pandemic. Because if I had entered the pandemic six months earlier, I would have been in such a dark place and so it put me in a really good place to enter a really traumatic situation right because i was just better equipped to deal with it but i do feel like it's been a slow slide since then ever since i had to re-enter the workforce (laughs) i mean trying to find a job or trying to keep a job it kind of sucks the life out of you yeah what does support feel like for you what does that even entail man it's hard to say anymore i feel like i've been just kind of renegotiating that for the past couple of years because you know i i ran into an old friend last weekend out and about hanging out and we were just kind of lamenting the fact because he's bartending and he's been working in real estate for years showing apartments as an agent and I was like what are you bartending for and he was like man 30% of the city left during the pandemic Mm -hmm. it's harder to make money now than it was and everything's more expensive so I'm supplementing my income I was like oh that's fair and we're both just kind of talking about the fact that you know a lot of our support network was lost during, you know, during these years. And all of my closest friends left the city at some point within a, a year or so of each other. And so I don't even know what support looks like anymore. It used to just look like, you know, hanging out with my friends. Right. But hanging out with my friends just doesn't hit the same way anymore because it's not the same kind of friends that I have known for so long and have so much history with that it doesn't feed me the same way. And so I I don't know. I'm not sure what support looks like anymore or what I, it needs to look like. Right. I guess that was kind of my follow-up question is what do you want it to look like? Yeah, I don't know. It's been such a a wild time, and I I think that we in New York experienced the pandemic in a way that a lot of the country did not, because we're so on top of each other, things needed to be stricter. But, you know, this city just kind of collectively lost its damn mind. (laughs) (laughs) It really did. And, And it's not come back. We're still stuck. 
The so, nightlife has not returned in the way that it was before the right, pandemic. Right, not 100% bad. Don't get me wrong, it feels more alive than it did two years yeah. ago. But it's not back in the way that it was. And I think music venues, small music venues, are having a hard time, even when they weren't having a hard time pre-pandemic. And I think that there's a lot of bars that are still trying to figure things out and have never really fully recovered. Everybody went through a, a sort of metamorphosis, good or bad. And, you know, for me, like, I used to go out a lot more. And I don't. Part of that is career change. Part of that is that I feel like the city has gotten 30% more expensive in the last three years. Yeah, man, that's for real. And I can't afford to go out at the clip that I used to go out. So it just leads to a lot more of me being at home. I cook a lot more than I used to. I suppose that's good. I mean, I haven't tasted anything, but judging from the pictures I see, your food looks good, Luke. <laughs> I will say that generally it tastes good, too. Okay. The only problem is that I've basically been running my kitchen like a greasy spoon. <laughs> so I'm not making a lot of healthy things. I, sure. But the reviews are solid. <laughs> <laughs> I would probably say that if people were writing a full review, they would be like, this was delicious. Not something I should eat all the time. Right. Boy, was it good. Right. And that's kind of the way it's been going. It's been a lot of that. I've gotten really into making a lot of things that I probably shouldn't be eating as often as I have been. <laughs> I mean, as, you know, we're men in our 40s, you know, we should probably be a little bit more conscientious about the things yeah. that we're putting in our bodies. Yeah. I mean, I like, I mean, yesterday I, oh God, what a, what a trash day it was. <laughs> Sometimes I'm just a full blown trash bag. I had leftover pizza from the night before. Oh man. And then I fried up potato chips, which I seasoned with, uh, this is like a new seasoning that I've put together, which is kosher salt, MSG, garlic powder, onion powder, a little bit, just enough to give it a kick of a chipotle chili powder, and then citric acid. First um, of all, Luke, what are you doing with MSG and citric acid in your crib? Oh, uh, man. Get on my level, bro. <laughs> <laughs> MSG is... You can buy these things at the yeah, store. Yeah, man. You can just buy them at the store. Um, the citric acid I actually bought at this Amish market in Ohio when I was back home for Thanksgiving or Christmas because they just have this whole wall of all of these powdered things that like wild, wild stuff. The next time I go there, which will probably be next weekend because I'm going back to Ohio for my nephew's wedding, but I'm just going to end up scouring that aisle because there's so much good stuff in there. And citric acid, man, oh. years ago when Nighthawk opened, and for those who are listening who don't know what Nighthawk is, Nighthawk is this small art house theater in Williamsburg. And now there's one in Prospect Park area open, too. Yep. Yeah, they opened up a second one in like right off of Prospect Park several years back. And they served dinner and alcohol and drinks and stuff during the movie. Or brunch? Or brunch, yeah. I mean, yeah. they do all kinds of stuff and it's cool. It's like Alamo Draft House, but art housey. But they really cribbed like a lot of Alamo Draft House thing. Right. But when they first opened up, they would have a different signature popcorn every month. And maybe a few months into opening, they made this popcorn that was truffle oil and citric acid salt. And it was bonkers. And it was so good that they brought it back the next month and then shortly thereafter just made it the Nighthawk signature. So I've probably had this popcorn Probably. Before. It's so good. And that my first introduction to citric acid, just like a powdered oh, citric man. acid. Blowing my mind right and now. And so I did at one point buy citric acid salt and truffle oil and try to make my own truffle oil, citric acid salt, popcorn. And it, it works out pretty well, actually. So yeah, now I've got this citric acid that I've been playing around with. And so I seasoned those potato chips with the citric acid and all that whole mixture. And uh, shockingly good. I'm going to take your word for it. <laughs> but yeah, so I ate like chips and and leftover pizza and just trash. So much so that <laughs> I woke up today and I had a few of the chips. Oh, I also made, I've been making my own ranch dip lately. 
which is also so much easier than you re like the things that we buy in the store if you make them yourself you realize like oh i can do this this isn't hard okay and i don't even follow a recipe for ranch dressing at this point i literally just mix stuff in a bowl and just play with it because honestly i prefer to play jazz in the kitchen the only baking i really do is bread because bread is like a hybrid between baking and cooking sure and unless you're trying to do a specific type of bread like uh, you know baguettes or something and it needs to be specific you got a lot of leeway with bread and you can kind of mess with it and and so other than that i mostly just cook because cooking is just jazz there's kind of no wrong answers right like a lot of it is just about you know if you add too much of one thing you're just gonna have to figure out how to make that work now and add some other things to bring that back into the mix and that's kind of jazz you know you're playing a solo there's no wrong note as long as the next note makes it make sense right. you know right. everything can work if done right and so you just kind of play with it and the more you do it the more you get good at it and my mom was like that while she did have tons of recipes and you know a whole cabinet full of recipes and books and stuff her name was vicky and she had her a la vicky meals that were always like yeah i was kind of this thing but now it's you know this a la vicky and she was very much so not a, a strict recipe follower and she was somebody who was very much so like uh well, this is what I got, and so I can't really do this recipe. We can make something work here. Sure. And I do some sort of the same thing. Because sometimes I want ranch dressing, but I definitely don't have all of the ingredients. And there's only a few things that you need to have to fake it, which is basically mayo or sour cream, and then dill, salt, garlic powder and onion powder and i generally keep all of those things around and so you can just do it now if i'm really going for it i'll i'll have mayo and sour cream add some milk in to thin things out a little bit i'll add balsamic vinegar and squeeze some lemon juice into it and you end up with something that is actually just like a really really banging Hidden Valley Ranch. You're cooking with Luke right now. <laughs> but, I mean, the leftover pizza and the fried potato chips, as you get older, isn't going to like, you know, you got to throw something green in there once in a while. Well, you know, this morning, like one of the pizzas that I made the other night was caramelized onions, goat cheese, and arugula with lemon juice squeezed over top. And so I had a lot of arugula left over. So this morning I made a salad, which was much needed at this point <laughs> in the weekend. Maybe a little too late in the weekend even. So I used up the rest of the arugula and chopped up some onions. I had some some mushrooms left over from the other pizza. And so I chopped up this portobello and tossed it in there. And then, and this is the uh, salad dressing, man. I chopped up half of a jalapeno I had left and put a few tablespoons of olive oil, a tablespoon of balsamic vinegar, a squeeze of deli mustard, and some salt. And then, you know, you just shake it up in a jar and you got yourself a quick and easy delicious salad dressing. It isn't that hard once you start doing it more. Right. And the pandemic led to me cooking a lot more. And so now it's fun and it's easy. And it doesn't seem like such a insurmountable task the way it did well, theoretically, you're also cooking for more than one person because your brother lives with you. Oh, yeah, but I'm not usually cooking for him. <laughs> okay. Most of the time, I am just cooking for myself. But there are times like, you know, this past Friday when I made pizzas, I was cooking for three or four people were over. Okay. And I do like doing that, especially right now because I'm working on this pizza thing that's like a fast focaccia bread recipe. And I've been trying to turn it into Detroit-style pizza. And I'm getting close, but, you know, sometimes I'll change one thing and then it'll screw something else up. <laughs> so then I have to kind of, like, bounce back and forth. Right. But I've been making pizza probably just about every week for the past month and a half or so. My older brother, Jake, great cook. 
you get a recipe from Jake and it's got notes in the margins. He keeps track of things. He's been cooking a lot. You know, he made his own sous vide cooker and stuff. He's very good at it and he takes notes. I <clears throat> cook in a way that like I will just cook the same thing over and over and over again until I get it somewhere that I like right. it. Right. But the way he does it allows him to kind of set things down and come back to them. And he's got notes to follow. I don't do that. I just keep going until I get something and then hopefully I write it down. Either practice feels like it works. Either practice works and I don't mind eating the same thing over and over again. I don't know. I mean, I just made pizza last weekend and I'm like, that was six days ago. (laughs) What's your problem? I mean, I remember talking to a a musician friend of mine and he's diabetic and I was like, how do you manage your diet? He was like, I eat the exact same thing for breakfast every day. And I was like, how does that even fucking work? You get bored. Weirdly enough, I think I would actually get really bored. I joke and I think that maybe I could do it, but I probably couldn't. But I joke that I could eat pizza just every day, all day, for every meal. But I do think I would still get sick of it. But the thing is, that every pizza can be different. Can be completely different, right? You can make breakfast pizzas. Yeah. You can make dessert pizzas. Like, it's a fantastic food. It's, <laughs> it's the not best. like you're just eating a bowl of cornflakes every morning. Exactly. Right. Whereas there were points when I was really overweight where I would try and go on a diet and, you know, wake up and make myself an egg and toast and and oatmeal and that gets old fast because it's just (laughs) the exact same thing every day and I I can't do that I wish that I was one of those people that just saw eating as an inconvenience there are people like that I was just talking to a friend last night and she's like yeah I, I like food I just find it to be an inconvenience and part of the reason why I smoke weed is so that I'll eat man and I was like, I have never had that problem. So I am I'm on Ozempic and it curbs your appetite. Yeah. And I still fucking love food. <laughs> yeah. Like it hasn't curbed Ozempic. My oh, okay, all right. Maybe I'll try this one. <laughs> I take it because I'm diabetic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also there are people who use it as a fucking weight loss drug. Hmm. I think that's kind of the big thing in Hollywood right now is that people use Ozempic to lose weight. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder what kind of side effects it has. We're going to find out. Yeah. In like 15 years, we're going to be like, all these people taking Ozempic to lose weight. Their asshole fell out or something. I don't know. know. Is that going to affect the poor people who are taking it for diabetes, though? And they're like, yeah, "Yeah, also all these people with diabetes, their asshole fell out. Fell out. (laughs) Yeah. Now they can't poop anymore. What the hell is going on? Yes. I almost lost my train of thought. Like, you and your brothers are tight. Mm Mm-hmm. Again, I'm thinking about you losing your mom, and I guess I'm wondering if people were there for you the way you wanted. What did you want? I think that people were, you know, my friend Erin, like, really came through in the clutch, and she watched my dog, Riley. Like, you know, my mom went into the hospital on a Monday afternoon, and... And this was at the tail end of a two-year battle with cancer. But it happens Mm. with cancer. And it's like, you know, with two years, you kind of trick yourself at some point of thinking, well, maybe this will turn around. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that last summer, it felt like she was getting weaker. And she, she ended up going into the hospital on a Monday afternoon that night I got a call from my oldest brother who was really kind of beating around the bush about oh we're not really sure how this is going to go and I'm like it sounds like you're telling me I need to come home and he was like yeah that'd probably be a good thing so I texted my friend Aaron immediately and was just like can you watch Riley indefinitely right I I can't say when I'll be back for sure. But I woke up to a call in the morning, and she hadn't made it through the night. And so I hopped on my hog and, and, you know, rode back to Ohio early in the morning the next day. And a week like that, people really come out of the woodwork. Sure. I had a lot, a lot of people reach out to me and offer their condolences, and it was very nice. 
you know, in a situation like that, you appreciate all the people that are a lot better at communicating with their friends <laughs> than you are. You are. <laughs> and and I, I came back to the city about eight days later and, you know, I got back to the apartments and my friend Aaron was still there and the weather was still nice. So we sat in the backyard and had a couple of drinks and cried a bunch and did several shots of Malort. Oh, dude, ew. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's weird because I like Malort. A lot of people hate it. There's a lot of jokes on the internet about how Malort is death. I, I like it. And so I've got a bottle at the apartment and I often kind of keep it around. I don't drink it all the time, but I do shots from time to time. And now it's kind of even more like two of my older brothers live in Chicago. And so after the funeral, we all went out to the church parking lot, all of my brothers and my dad, and we all did a shot of Malort in, in honor of my mom. But, you know, it was a good week. It, it was a terrible week. I I, um, I completely understand what you're saying. But it was a good week, you know, surrounded by by people who, you know, wanted to be there. And, you know, there was a lot of tears. There were a lot of jokes. The funeral director, after my mom's funeral, told me and one of my other brothers that our like pre-funeral consult was one of the most fun she's ever been a part of <laughs> it's a weird <laughs> thing to say but she I was just... just like it's not normally a thing first of all but it was very funny and it was strangely enjoyable because you know it's a lot of jokes at one point she asked how old my mom was and we all said 68 and my little brother drew went almost 69 <laughs> and for for those of you at home that can't see my hand did that sort of hang 10 thing yeah. where you stick your pinky and your thumb out and rock them back and forth but yeah you know it was a lot of jokes and tears and and when i got back to the city i did the same thing that night with my friend aaron who thankfully stuck around and hung out with me that night and I think that kind of from there on out, I think I just kind of settled in by myself. I don't know. You get to a point where you don't want to keep fucking talking about it. Right. And I was just kind of locked in because of being unemployed. You know, one of the sometimes nice things, but often really obnoxious things that my mom imparted into me was this desire to never want to impose and you're going through something like that and you're broke you can't go out you can't really afford to do anything you have no idea when you're going to make money again but you do have a, a mountain of rent that you've got to pay every month because you still live in the most expensive city on earth right and you just don't know how you're going to you know you're stuck and i I think it just made everything even worse because I, I couldn't really go out. The option was, you know, go out, not drink, or just continue sitting around the apartment. So I watched a lot of TV, so much TV, so many bad movies. <laughs> So, I'm thinking, is it something that comes naturally to you to be like, I'm kind of sitting here bumming, isolated, maybe I should call XY person up and have them just like come over and drink with me? In, I think only when it gets bad. I mean, I spend so much time in my head that it's not like during this period of time I wasn't processing anything at all. I spent a lot of time thinking about stuff and... You know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about my mom, our relationship, which at times, even though I, you know, love my family very much, it was a frustrating and complicated relationship. And as we talked about on the last time, it's just, you know, that the, the death of my father very early on just 
added so much unhandled trauma. And that was just legitimately unhandled trauma. Right. Trauma that was not being thought through, not being dealt with, and not even understood that it was there. Now, I'm, I'm sure my mom went to the grave thinking that she didn't have any trauma to work through. <laughs> um, I think for people of a certain age, it's just not part of their vocabulary. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So for me, it was tough because I was sitting by myself all the time. But I spent a lot of time thinking about these things. I was aware of their impact and aware that they were there. And spending a lot of time thinking about them at points as well. But I, I think also just everything as it was with the stress of the constant frequent unemployment, you know, you get contracted to work a job and then the place just cancels on your last minute and now you're just stuck again without work and money and, you know, between that, the grief with my mom, and then beating myself up over the 25 pounds that I put on in those first couple of months, which when you're as big as I am, 25 pounds doesn't look the same as it does on 110 person's frame. Right. Just generally, you're I'm a, a large human. I'm, yeah. I'm a refrigerator. Like, we're sitting on this couch <laughs> and I am literally taking up half the space that you are. Right. Yeah. I'm an ox. And, and so it's just like all of those three things sort of coming together just leads to a place where, like, you know, there are times where I have curbed my drinking at points because of the fact that what would happen is I'd get easily excitable and anger. Okay. And get into an argument with somebody. And, you know, it's not necessarily about them, although... <laughs> Some not, people are just it's not assholes. Not about them, but right. also at the same time, I'm not behaving well. Right. And so it just doesn't really matter whether or not it's about them or not. I'm not behaving well. And that is its own problem. And I dated somebody for a really long time, and I went through a period of time in the first several months after we had split up and she had moved out of the apartment where I eventually did just say, all right, well, I, I shouldn't be drinking right now. Because every time I'd get real drunk, I would just turn into some sad sorority girl in the corner. Being like, well, I don't understand why Chad Aww. doesn't love me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I got to deal with some emotions before I can start drinking again. Because generally, you know, when I'm drinking, it's happy, fun times. It's a good time. Right. And all, everybody gets to have a good time. But, you know, sometimes when you're really going through something... You know, you start drinking and, and that stuff comes out. But because you're drinking and you're not fully cogent, this shit just comes out of you. And you just don't have any control. Mm -hmm. And you are this passenger inside of your head who is watching these things happen in real time and helpless to stop them from happening. And that's just not a good place to be. It's not mindful. And part of the thing about drinking is that it does release some control. And, you know, people get loose. and you, good, you more you know, uninhibited. And, and if you're getting loose and you're having a bad time now, then drinking is a problem for you at this point. And you're going to need to deal with the things that are causing you to be bad while you're drinking. Right. I, I once heard somebody say alcohol is a wonderful mistress, but a terrible wife. <laughs> I think I've actually um, heard that exact same statement before. Yeah, and I, I think it's true, and I think that either way, though, the part of the problem is that if it becomes a your constant significant other, then you're more than likely not actually dealing with the things that are causing you to drink so much. Right. And, uh, yeah. So... You know, a few months past, you are employed again. What do you need to take care of yourself or to have others take care of you? I wish I could say you're catching me on the other side of all of this. Well, I mean, what's the other side? I don't know. Okay. I mean, you might be catching me, hopefully, on an uptick. I feel better now than I've felt in a while. 
but it's tough because I, I was so depressed and gone for so long and it robbed me of so much in my life but when I got to that point just before the pandemic where I was happy and healthy it was like this is what life can be fuck this is cool like this is really awesome and so what's frustrating about now is that I know that exists I know it's out there and I know I did it one time it's just been a while and I'm just trying to figure out almost daily how to get myself back to that place where I know that I can be and so I don't know what I need right now and that's the unfortunate truth of it is I know that right now having some stability is helping a lot good but I've only had this stability for a few weeks and so I don't know I'm still you know trying to pull my life back into this structured place where I can then start focusing on some other things hopefully because that's the goal the plan yeah I guess I'll have to come back on in a year I mean, you can come back on whenever the hell you want. You know. Well, maybe this is the fun exercise is I'll come back on in a year and we'll we'll see whether or not I've made it back up the mountain, whether or not I'm still trying to get back up the mountain or whether or not I've gone back down into the valley. Well, I mean, it's a journey. What do they say? It's a journey, not a destination. Yeah, it's about the journey, not yeah. the destination. I mean, it's yeah. not like you fucking get to this place of happiness and enlightenment and you're like, oh, everything is fucking groovy because then some shit will happen and knock you off your course. It's constant. Yeah. You know? I mean, that is always the thing, too, is that everything ebbs and flows. And it's like, if the pandemic hadn't happened, who knows how long I would have been feeling right. that good before I hit some sort of a snag. Right. Or maybe that would have been the beginning of the craziest period of Luke just absolutely slaying life. <laughs> Who knows? It's impossible to have any idea what would have happened. Right, yeah, you don't know. But I do know that the past three years have been a lot of ups and downs, but I, it's been more down than up as far as trajectory is concerned. And I think it was kind of a slow slide and not imperceptible, but slow enough that it wasn't that big of a deal. But then last fall just kind of really amped things up a lot. Sure. Or amped things down. <laughs> um, As the case may be. And it just put me in a place where I was going to actually have to try harder and be more intentional. And I'm trying to finally do that now that I've got a little stability in my life I'm trying to get myself to a place where I can actually start to pick through the junk and keep what I want to keep and throw out what I shouldn't have around it's an ongoing process man yeah man you know I had a, a friend of mine a very good friend of mine last year who attempted suicide and it was a lot I mean, it was a lot more for her than it was for me, obviously. Right. But it was kind of like a 48 hours of turmoil with her where we talked on the phone after she had thoughts of doing it. And I was just outside of work on my lunch break talking with her on the phone and just saying that, man, I hear you. Sometimes you get so far below the surface of the water you can't even remember that the surface of the water exists anymore. And, you know, it, it feels like most of my time is spent treading water, trying to keep my head up there and breathing. But there was a period in my life where I was so far below the surface of the water that I didn't think the surface of the water existed anymore. And the frustrating thing is that some people when they get down to the surface of the water, it's a bad day. Right. But for me, when I can get my neck above the surface of the water, I'm like, hell yeah. It's a fucking amazing day. <laughs> yeah, dude. And fuck, I wish, I wish I was one of those people. 
I wish I was one of those people that felt like I was under the water when I was just hitting the surface. But man, you know, if I was able to get my feet out of the water, what would that even look like? I feel like I'd just be running shit. <laughs> it's possible, dude. We're all different, and that's the thing, right? Some of it is luck, some of it is biology. A bunch of different things factor into that. You gotta try to do the best you can with what you got. And you gotta lean on people sometimes, man. Yeah, I'm definitely not very good about leaning on people because it, it feels like so much. And I think that's part of the problem with having all of my friends leave the city. Mm. It just doesn't feel like there's anyone to lean on anymore. And there's times where I think about dating and I think that I would be interested in that again. But I also think that it would be a really bad time for me to be getting into a relationship because I know myself and I think I would end up leaning on this person so much that our relationship would go zero to a hundred in no time at all because of the fact that I would just be so desperate to have that person in my life. Right. And so that's part of the, the answer to the question of what do you need? What do you think you need? What, what does it look like? What do you think it looks like having your friends there for you? And it's like, I know anymore because I had things that worked and I don't have those things anymore and what I need is something different because those things don't exist anymore right so what does that look like it doesn't mean it's part of my journey at the right. moment <laughs> it doesn't mean making new friends yeah and it, you know, the thing is that I'm always making friends I'm a sociable you are a gregarious sociable human person being. yes you, you know? are and so I start a new job I make a bunch of new friends it's just that at this point in time the majority of the people I talk to on a regular basis I've known for less than two or three years and the rest of the people I've known for less than 10 at a maximum, right? really. But it puts me in this place again of asking myself this question of like, you know, I moved to New York for music. I stayed in New York for a while. Even after mass exoduses, it felt, of musician friends moving to LA and Nashville and stuff. I've been here and now I'm here and it feels like I don't need to be here anymore. And sometimes it feels like I'm starting over mm. after the pandemic where, you know, sure, like people come in and out of your life, friends leave and they move away and whatnot. But I had gotten to this point where I had friends that I'd just known for so long that were just such thick, rich friendships that it feels like chopping down a... 150 year old oak tree to replace it with a sapling and you're just like well if I'm going to start planting saplings maybe I want a different house mm. and we'll work on landscaping that one <laughs> um, and I just kind of think sometimes maybe it's just time for me to move on from New York and start building up new rich relationships somewhere that isn't as transient as New York. Right. Because New York is so transient. But I thought that I'd gotten to a place where the transients had been tempered to such a great extent that it was just, it was me and a bunch of people I knew and we were all just going to keep living here. Right. Because we'd been here for so long we weren't going anywhere else. But the pandemic had different through through a fucking designs. monkey wrench in that shit dude yeah for real you know yeah so i don't know man i'm i'm on the journey you're on the journey and it's a it's a journey that i do feel like you know lately i've been on a on a a, a slightly better trajectory than i've been I'm not entirely sure. I like I, I can't tell for sure whether or not I'm still pulling the brakes on the downhill slide or if I'm legitimately starting to move back up now, but I know I'm I know I'm somewhere at the bottom of this valley, this valley anyway. 
which thankfully is not as deep as it could be. Right. But I, I think I think I'm somewhere in the bottom of it at the moment. Either, you know, either coming to a screeching halt or slowly pulling myself up. I, I can't tell for sure though. I would like to think it's just slowly pulling yourself up. <laughs> you and me both, man. But I will say, I do still have a really hard time with sappy moments in movies. I mean, dude, if you're gonna fucking have enjoy, revel in that shit, dude. I've always had a hard time. I mean, not to say that like, I just mean like now, like, I mean, I don't know. I watched some really crap movie a few weeks ago, but it was, you know, a very sappy heartstrings sort of thing and it's just like you just find yourself crying at like the worst times and you're just like what they're supposed to make you cry man oh i know they are but the thing is is that like it's just it's like it's like getting getting punched by somebody who wound up for three seconds (laughs) and through of two mile an hour punches <laughs> and then and then they connect on this you know seven second punch that came at you at the you know the speed of a moving snail and you just get crushed by it you fall under your back you hit your head. You have to go to the hospital oh. because of this two mile an hour punch. That's what crying at a terrible movie where the where the sappy moments are so obvious. That's what it feels like. Is it? You're just like, oh man, you just fell prey to something so obvious and crappy. But you know, like that's that's where I am in my life right now. Is it? I, I just I see. I'm like, no, I know it. It, they do love each other. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just the worst. <laughs> Man, if if that's where you are in your life, then just fucking roll with it. You know, let it out. No, no, no. I know. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, is that what it does do at least is it. You know, it gets it out of me, at least, so that it's not just always pent up. Right. You know, I will say that much that like. You know, there were times in the first like three or four months after my mom passed where it would it would just be like I would legit just completely fucking break down. Like in the apartment by myself, like walking to the bathroom and just like start bawling. And while I am still like a ball of emotions, I am not such a wild spinning out of control ball of emotions as I was. And that isn't because I'm suppressing it all. Right. I mean, some of it's just distance. Right. Time time has passed. Getting a little yeah. bit of time between me and that, like, certainly helps as well. But, you know, I, I spend a lot of time thinking through everything, for better or worse. Right. It's not always a good thing. Right. And so, like, I, I'm definitely working through things and... You know, and I do talk to friends about things sometimes, but yeah, I, I I do feel like I'm 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 slowly getting a grasp on the grief, both of my mom's passing and of the loss of a life that I had three years ago. Right. You know, and some things are better now than they were. I like my job a lot more than I used to. That's awesome. I like the the work that I do a lot more. But, you know, I don't play music as much. It's a lot harder to find time when you work 40, 50 hours a week in, like, manual labor. Right. Uh, And you come home and you just kind of want to... You're exhausted. You want to take a shower and just fucking relax. Yeah. But I like the work that I do a lot more than I used to. And... You know, things are changing. Things have changed a lot. It's not always for the worse, but it's not always immediately available to you, whether it's for the worse or the better. <laughs> right. So it's just time, distance, and, you know, 
work and requisite mind games. <laughs> and hopefully you find yourself on the other side feeling like uh, like you did it. So, you know, maybe next year we'll have a conversation where I won't, you know, have tears in my eyes and cry while we're interviewing. <laughs> Dude, it's fine. Well, I mean, I wasn't apologizing. Right. Yeah, I mean, if you do, it's cool. If you don't, it's cool. You know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's. I want to thank Luke for being so open and vulnerable and sharing this latest update in his story. And, you know, I'm going to hold you to it. Six months from now, we'll have a part three and we'll see what Luke's up to. And uh, if you want to follow Luke, you can go to LukeWesley.com. That is his website. Or you can follow him on Instagram at Luke Wesley Music. Uh, once again, thank you, Luke. I love doing these follow-ups, too. Uh, it is nice to, over the course of the past three years in 100 and whatever episodes, just to kind of chart development from you know from one year to the next or one couple of months period to the next couple of months period so uh if there's a guest that any of you are really passionate about hearing from again uh, hit me up detoxpod at gmail.com follow me of course on social media uh, or instagram specifically at uh detoxpodguy and once again thanks luke and you know what we did it in person uh, 90% of my recordings are done virtually. So to have somebody actually sitting next to me on the couch having this conversation, I think uh, adds a layer of intimacy to it. And uh, I just, I, I kind of love having the person-to-person interaction. So for a million reasons, thank you, Luke. Thank you for listening to Detoxicity. I hope you found this particular episode interesting. And if you are new, I hope you go back and listen to all of the older episodes. Uh, Once again, my name is Mike Joseph. I am the host and producer of this show. And uh, there are a lot of things that you can do to continue to support our mission, continue to support this podcast. Uh, Follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, Twitter, and I'm on TikTok as DetoxPodGuy. Uh, You can also send me an email if you'd like. I'm at detoxpod at gmail.com. I am always on the hunt for people with interesting, inspirational, and powerful stories. So if you know somebody who fits that bill or if you yourself fit that bill, please don't hesitate to drop me a line via email or via social media. Uh, Please make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform that you're listening to this on. Uh, Rate, comment, help a brother out, uh, help us move up in the rankings, uh, follow me on social media, like I said, uh, follow our Patreon, or subscribe to my Patreon, actually, patreon.com slash detoxicitypod, you get access to exclusive episodes, you get episodes a little earlier than the general public, you get a cool-ass sticker, lots of stuff, once again, patreon.com slash detoxicitypod, quick shout out to Calvin Williams for providing the music, and, uh, doing his magic on the logo which was originally designed by jacob block i thank you all for listening i wish you all the best please take care of each other till next time peace